Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, sometimes uh, when you uh, preach, uh, you get this really controversial topic that you've got to work really hard to convince people is a good thing. You know, like tithing, you know, the idea of giving 10% of your income to the work of God, uh, the Bible teaches. Um, man, when it's your turn to preach about that, you know you're going uphill. You've got a long, high mountain to climb to convince people it's a good thing to do, a commendable thing to do. And uh, chances are that after the sermon is done, most of the people in the room are going to just still not be convinced. But then, sometimes, you get to talk about a subject that actually most people already agree with you is a good thing. Something that people actually desperately would like to see more of, but for some reason just isn't happening. And so you get to stand up, and really all you have to do is kind of get some weeds out of the way for people to jump on board and just kind of start engaging in whatever it is that you're talking about, which is uh, really kind of the happy privilege that I have uh, this morning as I stand uh, before you. Uh, You see, this morning as we continue on in this series about the things that we do together as the community, of Oak Hills Church, that serve to breathe life into the world and into each other, I get the very simple task of reminding us all that as the community of disciples of Jesus, we breathe life into the world and into each other when we care for the people that Jesus refers to in this passage as the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Which is something that almost every person I talk to, whether they are a part of a Christian church or not, almost everybody that I talk to agrees, this is, this is a good thing to do. Really, throughout the history of the church, caring for the least of these has always been at the core of the ministry of the church. Now, you know, I'm not saying that there haven't been instances in which Christians haven't done a good job. But I think sometimes in our attempt to be humble, our attempt to be self-deprecating, we tend to kind of characterize the Christian movement as this power-hungry, abusive, self-centered thing that really only thinks about itself. And as I was kind of preparing for this message, it, it occurred to me that that, that perspective is, is, is kind of an unfair character, characterization of the Christian faith. Because the real truth is that throughout history, Christians have always been at the forefront of caring for the marginalized and the disenfranchised of the world. Many of the systems in place today that we take for granted, that are there to care for the poor, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, stuff like hospitals and orphan care, these are Christian inventions. They didn't exist before Christ. And yes, the abuses of the church, both Catholic and Protestant, during the, you know, the colonial era, they're all very, very well documented, but, but so is the work of Christ followers to counter those abuses. And I know this is going to sound like self-promotion here as we sit in a Christian church reading a Christian Bible, but we need to realize that Christianity is really the only major religion in the world in which raising up the marginalized, caring for the weak and the disenfranchised is actually the focus of its practice. It was craziness when Christianity first came on the scenes. Nobody 
nobody thought that way. I mean, everybody, like nobody could compute it. And still today, no other religion really comes close. I'm not saying that other religions don't teach giving alms to the poor or helping them out or practice hospitality, but they do so as a means of self-promotion. Uh, In other words, it's the way you earn your way to a, next, a better next step, whether it's a better next life for those religions that teach reincarnation or a, a better place in paradise for those religions that teach kind of some sort of afterlife, uh, 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 eternity sort of thing. I mean, one of the interesting things about this passage where Jesus describes how the final judgment is going to, is going to uh, play out is that when Jesus thanks the righteous for all that they have done for him, the righteous, they're surprised. Lord, when? Like, when did we do this stuff for you? And what that tells you, if you're, you know, kind of reading deeply here, is that they hadn't actually done all the feeding and the visiting and the caring and the housing as some sort of transactional affair where they were, they figured, well, if I do a good job at doing this, well, this is going to, you know, when the final judgment comes, wow, I'm going to look really, really good in front of everybody. They'd done it because caring for the least of these is just simply a foundational value of life in the kingdom of God. It's just what you do. In most religions throughout history, wealth has been seen as a reward from God. And by extension, poverty is seen as judgment, as deserved. Like, well, if you're poor or marginal, you must have done something wrong to deserve being so poor. But in the Christian faith, uniquely, the poor are seen as especially loved by God. So much so that when God became man and dwelt among us, he came as a homeless poor person. Like, that's what he came as. And in the words of this passage, when he says, whatever you've done for the least of these brothers and sisters are mine, you've done for me. Jesus here declares his solidarity with the poor, with the marginalized forever. And if you've ever talked to, uh, uh, to someone who practices another religion, you find that this, that this point here of God identifying with the poor is just a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it, it, it sounds like craziness. For followers of Christ, caring for the least of these is what life is all about. That's why we're here. I mean, just over the last couple of weeks, I've been in multiple settings with Christ followers who are racking their brains, they're brainstorming, they're whiteboarding, they are trying to figure out how do we best care for the influx of refugees that, are re- that we are receiving in our community and will receive even more as the months go by. And they're not doing it for self-promotion. They're not doing it to fill out their resume so they can get into a better college. They're definitely not doing it for the money. They do it because it is the most natural disposition for one who is learning how to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. This past, uh, this past Friday, we celebrated the life of our friend Pat Curley. And I was struck by the stories of just how focused his life was on caring for other people. And it was a beautiful service. It was very, very emotional. He was a man that lived out his faith by caring for people 
in need. And he was a great guy. And here's the thing. He's not the only person like that that I know. I actually know a lot of Christ followers who are pouring themselves out for the hungry, the poor, the imprisoned, the sick. All the time. I know, I know what a lot of you guys do when nobody is watching. And I, I know that I'm not throwing out a whole lot of statistics in my little soapbox rant here that I'm going on. Not because they're not available, but mostly because the vast majority of what followers of Jesus do and have done down through the centuries for the least of these around the world, it never shows up on a stat sheet. The world will never know how much followers of Christ have done to care for the least of these. And I know I sound ridiculous saying all this, and because normally what preachers are supposed to say when we deal with this passage is, is that, you know, ah, you're not doing enough. You guys are all selfie and selfish and greedy, and boy, you guys, you know, we're, don't, better be careful or you're going to end up on the back half of this passage, you know, with the depart from me part of it. And hopefully those of you who know me know me you know know me well enough to know I'm, it's not that I'm some ecclesiastical idealist here where I think the church is all rosy and everything's perfect and everything's good. I'm well aware of all the things the church has done wrong down through the ages. But I just feel that it just, it just it's, a, it's a good moment now to set the record straight that the reason that Christians are so maligned for what they're not doing. Is because we are really the only ones for whom it is in our DNA as a faith community to be about caring for the least of these. So our standards are pretty high. And of course, my point this morning isn't to say, "Ah, we don't have to worry about this. You know what? We're doing a great job. Just, you know, just pat yourself on the back, take the week off. No, uh, that's not that's not the point today. It's just that when we are forever downplaying Christianity's role throughout history and around the world in caring for the poor and the marginalized, we are actually misrepresenting the work of the Holy Spirit through His church. Yes, there is a lot more that we could do. There's a lot more that we should do. But the fact that there is a lot more that we could do isn't just an indication of how little we are doing. But it's actually more an indication of how great the brokenness of our world actually is. And I think that sometimes the enormity of the task that does at times freeze us into inaction. And it makes us tempting to throw up our hands and say, ah, you know what, what's what's the use? In 2015, the United Nations adopted what they called uh, were the Sustainable Development Goals. And in it, they resolved uh, to eradicate poverty and hunger in all its forms by the year 2030, which is a great goal to resolve to. And I'm sure it was a great moment when they all signed the resolution and the plan. And then, of course, came the pandemic, which pushed an estimated 97 million more people into what is known as extreme poverty. Add to that, of course, the conflicts that have been happening around the world that has displaced millions and millions of people, destroyed entire economies. It's not looking like we're headed in the right direction for eradicating poverty and hunger in all its forms in the next eight years. You know, 
maybe by some miracle. And this reality is very demotivating for those of us achievers who want to be able to identify a problem, develop a strategy, implement it, and fix it. And that demotivation can get us into this why bother mode of thinking. Which is why it's important, as we read through this passage, to notice that Jesus' commendation to the righteous, he doesn't commend them for fixing things. Like, yeah, they are commended for giving the hungry something to eat. But if you've ever given, you know, somebody something to eat, you know that, well, a couple hours later, you know, darned if they aren't hungry again. If you, they're commended for caring for the sick, but they're not necessarily commended for healing the sick. They're commended for, for visiting those in prison, but not necessarily for freeing them. And, and don't, please don't misunderstand me. I, I, it's not that I'm saying that fixing things isn't a big deal. It is a really, really, really big deal. But we just need to realize that when it comes to the systemic injustices and social diseases that keep people marginalized and helpless and oppressed, some of that stuff is actually out of our power to fix. I mean, for many years, our, our, our family did foster care, in which we cared for kids whose parents weren't able to care for them for whatever reason. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we were able to see some families reunited, some kids reunited with their parents. We were able to see other kids go find a, a stable forever home. It was, it was a great experience for us as a family. But here's the thing. No matter how many kids we took in, the phone kept ringing. There were still more kids needing a home. And that is just the nature of engaging in caring for the least of these. We really do come face to face with our limitations as humans. And that, for honest, can be very scary. And it can be very tempted to just avoid it. You see, when we dive into caring for the least of these, uh, those who are powerless to help themselves, we come face to face with our own powerlessness. And that may feel like meaningless to us. Like, what's the purpose of sitting with these folks if I can't do anything to fix it? But you see, in coming to grips with our own powerlessness, it is then that we actually are able to stand in solidarity with the suffering, marginalized people around the world. Because, FYI, powerlessness is not just the ailment of the poor, the imprisoned. Powerlessness is the reality of the human condition. Yeah, most of us avoid our powerlessness through our education and our money and our business, businesses. We avoid it with this nice, safe bubble that we build where we never actually encounter things that are outside of our power to manage or, or control or fix when they break. But nevertheless, our powerlessness is still there. And by sitting with the least of these and embracing our powerlessness to fix everything that is wrong, we are actually able to breathe life into them. Because we can share the message that they are not alone. We can sit cross-legged with them on the floor and wait together 
on God. I think the other, another reason that we tend to stumble in our attempts to take care of the least of these is that somewhere in our minds, the least of these fit a profile. Like, the least of these are people that make under five, live on less than $5 a day, or that they are the ones that are, you know, suffering victims of war or whatever. We have a profile that they fit. And so we run around trying to fit people who find to find people who fit our profile of what the least of these might be. And I think it's important for us to understand that this phrase, the least of these brothers of mine, is actually a relative term. It doesn't not just a certain category of people out there. It is in every gathering, in every community, in every place that we ever are, there is always Someone who fits the category of the least of these. There are some people in this room fit the category of the least of these, wherever we go. And so part of our learning and caring for the least of these isn't to find somebody that fit this this profile, but is actually to develop an inclination. It's a character quality of wherever we are, whoever we encounter, whatever context we find ourselves in, we are going to lean in to caring for the least of these. And as we do this, one of the things you, you realize really quickly is that the, the, the most effective expressions of care for the least of these is when it's done in community with others. You see, too many times we set off as lone agents in caring for people. And that can be uh, devastating to our ability to do it as a lifestyle. There's a story that, uh, that gets told a, a lot of times when people talk about serving or trying to make a difference. It's a story about, you know, the kid walking on the beach, right? Sees all these starfish stranded on the beach at low tide. And so the kid, you know, he starts picking them up one by one, throwing them in the ocean. And while he's doing this, a man who has been watching what he's doing comes up to him with a skeptical face and says, why are you doing this? You're not going to be able to throw all these starfish back in. You've been doing this for hours. Look, there's still thousands of them laying out there. You're not going to make any real difference here. Of course, the, kids look at, the kid looks at the, at the man, shrugs his shoulders, bends over, picks up another starfish, throws it in the sea and says, made a difference for that one. That's a very moving story, and it's a very motivating way to communicate that every little thing that you do makes a difference and, and, and to get people to go out and do small acts of service. And you know what? It actually works. Um, I mean, most of you knew the punchline. Uh, I mean, this is not a new story. I didn't just come up with this. Uh, you knew the punchline was coming. And I'll be honest, it still gave you a little goosebump when you heard it, didn't it? I mean, it just, it just works. But the problem is, is that the cry of our heart isn't to do one little act of service. The real cry of our heart is to change the world. And anybody who's ever tried to care for the least of these for some extended time knows that feeling of being the only kid on the beach with thousands of starfish to save and throwing them in one at a time. I mean, yeah. 
Sure, at the beginning of the day, you're like, yep, made a difference for that one, made a difference for that one. Nah, nah. But pretty soon, eventually the heartbreak you feel for all the other ones that you didn't save becomes overwhelming. Eventually, it occurs to you that even the few that you did manage to throw back, you know, tomorrow they're going to get washed up on the beach again and you probably aren't going to get to them. You see, when we see ourselves as the lone child on the beach saving the starfish, I mean, it's very heroic. It appeals to our individualism. It appeals to that voice in our head that wants to be the, you know, the one to score the goal or the, the one to find the cure, the one to save the life. But individualistic heroism lacks staying power. It will eventually devolve into cynicism and discouragement into anger and resentment towards all those other people out there who aren't throwing starfish back. But the good news is that the starfish story, for all of its poignancy and drama, it isn't actually true. It doesn't paint an accurate picture of the reality of the kingdom of God. The reality of the kingdom of God is that we are the body of Christ. Each of us has a part to play in it, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are a body that works together to accomplish as the purpose of, of God to reconcile all things to himself through Christ. And as heroic as it may seem to be that one kid out there on the beach throwing starfish back, the truth the real picture is that you're not alone. As a member of the church, the body of Christ, it's not just you out on the beach. It's actually a whole army of people out there. Like, and it's amazing what changing that one little detail does to the story, right? Uh, because, I mean, if, if instead of just one kid out there throwing starfish, there's actually a thousand people out there throwing I can't imagine any guy that would walk up you know, there's a thousand people throwing starfish in the ocean. Some guy walks up to one of them and says, I don't think you guys are making any kind of a difference here. No, actually, if I'm walking down the beach and I see a thousand people throwing starfish back into the ocean, you know what I'm most likely going to do? I'm going to bend over and start picking up starfish. Because it's a party. And this is the power when we care for the least of these together as a community, as a part of the body of Christ, we are actually connected to a fellowship of billions of people, both here on earth and in the heavenly realms, all working to feed the hungry and house the stranger and visit the prisoner and care for the sick, all working together to bring shalom back to this world. Now, of course, the circumstances sometimes demand that we operate alone, like in the case of the Good Samaritan who encountered you know, somebody in crisis on the road had to handle things by himself. But in general, we are at our best when we care for others as a community. When we operate as the body of Christ. Because that is how Jesus designed the church to function. And if you're here and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I mean, I want to get in on this whole starfish throwing party thing. The simplest way to do it is just contact Emily Hui. She will have all the information you need. She's got her finger on the pulse of a whole bunch of different teams that are working on a whole bunch of different areas and all around the town, all around the state, all around the world, really. 
And, you know, usually, you know, usually you do one of these messages and you have a table in the back with a whole bunch of sign-up sheets so you can run out there. It's easier just to say, just email Emily. She'll get you hooked up. But really, you don't have to sign up with us. You don't have to go through Oak Hills. As I said earlier, all around the world, Christ followers are actively caring for the least of these, and they would love to have you on their team. And really, it's easy to see how doing things together helps breathe life not only into those that are being helped and cared for and housed and fed, but also into those doing the caring and the feeding and the housing and the visiting. I mean, really, caring for the least of these in community. Man, when when that's happening, that's one of the places that Jesus just loves to show up. As we realize that we're not that different. That we are actually all people created in the image of God who depend on Him for every breath that we breathe, every meal that we eat. And that in that shared powerlessness, we get to see and experience the power of God to provide and to free and to heal. Because while it may be true that we are powerless to fix everything, when we as a community commit ourselves to caring for the least of these, some things do get fixed. The hungry do get fed. The stranger does get brought in. The prisoner does, in fact, get set free. The sick do get healed. And the lonely do find a family. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, life is breathed into a dying world. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? So God, we thank you for your church. It gives us this community with which we can serve alongside of each other and doing the work of bringing shalom back into this world. As we look forward to the day where all things are made right, where there are no sick and no hungry, no strangers, where the prisoners are in fact set free. But until then, we trust ourselves to you. We give our lives to you for that purpose. That our strength, that our time, that our energy, that our money would be dedicated to caring for the least of these that you love so much. Praise in Jesus' name.